you want to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, I'm going to continue making our way through the first chapter and into chapter 2 over the next few weeks. One of my favorite parts of the holiday season as a kid was when family members, extended family, would sort of all gather together around Christmas time. Cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents. And a particular highlight for me was when my dad's older brother, my uncle, would visit from California with his family. I'm sure every family has their, their storyteller, and in my family, that was my Uncle Bob. He is probably one of the best storytellers I, I can imagine, even to this day. And he, you know, he would just get animated. His whole body would sort of start to shake when he told stories. And there's so much energy. And every, every time, every few years when they would come to visit, we would ask him to tell the same set of stories. Uncle Bob, tell us about the time that that you and my dad almost burned down the house when you were kids, playing with gasoline in the basement. That was a favorite story. Or or tell us about when you were in college and you guys all went on a road trip and ended up in jail for trespassing for three or four days. Tell us about, you know, whatever. There was this litany of stories that we would review with Uncle Bob. And every time he told them, though... At least from my perspective as a kid, it seemed like his stories grew more exciting, more animated. That that every time he told them there was some new wrinkle or twist or or something that I hadn't appreciated before. And there's the sense that they just kept getting better over time. I don't know if everybody in the family felt that way, but at least I did as a kid. Some people may have have grown tired of them. But I think that the best stories, we tend to discover that they improve with retelling. They improve over time. Past month or so, Katie and I have been watching a BBC miniseries based on Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, the, the novel. And it's like six hours long. You know, there's episode after episode. It's this epic retelling but even despite how long it is, every, every episode I want to see the next bit. I'm hanging on the edge of my seat. Now, keep in mind, I've already read Victor Hugo's novel. It's like a thousand pages in the unabridged form. I've heard the Broadway soundtrack. I've seen two or three other film adaptations of the same story. But the, the better I know the story, this, this incredible story of, of good and evil, of redemption the better that story gets, the more I hear it. Advent is also a time where we allow God to retell his story to us, his people. We invite the scriptures to remind us of a story that's familiar to us. And not just a story, but history. Right? God changing the course of of our destinies. And at Advent, we, we read the gospel story of Jesus entering human flesh, coming into our world. 
But we read that also partly so that we can anticipate a, a coming story, right? The story of, of God's coming again in Jesus to be with us, to perfect things, to consummate his kingdom. This morning as we listen in to the gospel of Matthew and Matthew telling Jesus' story in detail, I think we find that he is actually intending to tell this as a retelling of a much older story. One that goes deep into the history of Israel, deep into the scriptures, all the way back to the beginning. But Matthew also believes that, that it's a story that's getting better, that God's doing something new in. So if you turn with me to Matthew Chapter 1, verse 18. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, we praise you for who you are and that you have chosen to reveal yourself to us. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that reveals. Thank you for the gift of Jesus in flesh that reveals you to us thankful for the revelation of Scripture. Lord, I pray that as I teach this morning, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were here last week, you'll remember that Steve Thrall started this series by preaching on the first 17 verses of Matthew's Gospel. And it's that that big long list of the ancestors of Jesus. It begins with Abraham, it goes up through David, and, and eventually arrives at Joseph, the father of Jesus. And at first glance, again, that often looks to us just like a list of names where we're likely to sort of skim over it. But I think we might also think about that list as a a kind of table of contents. Each each one of those men and women listed there are like chapter headings. They're they're individual stories that collectively represent the history of Israel and, and what God was doing in and through it. And so as we've We've gotten all these chapters strung together here in the first 17 verses, all these people and narratives and stories. Now we arrive at verse 18. And we're ready to find out how Jesus fits into this bigger story. Let me read verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. For us, verse 18 is the beginning of the Christmas story, right? We hear it read at pageants, it's reprinted in children's books that that tell the Christmas story. These words are words that are etched in our our consciousness that are associated with with every December, sort of bringing this story back out to read. But as Matthew presents them, he wants us to hear them as more than just the beginning of the Christmas story. 
think Matthew's intention here in verse 18 is to signal to us that he's about to retell the story. The story of the whole scriptures. The story of the world. The story of creation about to be made new. And the first little clue that that's perhaps Matthew's intention is actually sort of disguised away from us in the English translation. Where in verse 18 it says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. In Greek, Matthew actually says, the the genesis of Jesus happened like this. The word in Greek is actually genesis. Like so many other parts and passages of the New Testament that will come forth... Right? Matthew signals straight away that in Jesus something new, a new creation power, a new genesis, a new start is taking place. As Paul will later say, right, the old is gone, the new has come. So as we start into this text, we see that in Jesus, God's story, Israel's story, this ancient story has a new beginning, a new genesis. And if we have a a new story, a new beginning, then Matthew needs to introduce to us the the setting and the the characters that are part of this new creation story. And so we're introduced to Mary and Joseph in verse 18. And we know from from all the verses that precede it, right, that long genealogy, that Mary and Joseph are firmly rooted in in the story that precedes them. These are characters that are connected to people like Abraham. Mary and Joseph are connected to faithful women like Ruth. They have a, a connection to the kingly line of David. They're also tied up in the failures of Israel. As Steve mentioned last week, like the king Manasseh. But God has intentionally chosen Joseph and Mary to be part of this new beginning, partly because they're also part and and connected to the old story, what came before them. Right? They have been chosen to be the, the setting and the soil for this new thing to come forth. Soon, Mary and Joseph will be actors in this drama of the Messiah, Jesus. But here at the beginning of the story, Joseph and Mary are first witnesses. In verse 18, they are audience members. And they're there to behold the virtuosity of the star actor, the primary actor of verse 18. And we see that person listed at the end of this verse, where it says, Before Joseph and Mary ever came together as husband and wife, Mary was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The key actor in, in the beginning, this new beginning, this new retelling of the story, is not Mary or Joseph It's not a human scheme. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. The birth of Jesus comes into existence 
because of the surprising, the gracious, the transforming, the initiating power of God in his spirit. Matthew wants us to know that this is a story God himself has chosen to tell. The spirit stands behind this incredible, miraculous virgin birth that Matthew describes. Now, in case we just read this passage as as about Mary and Joseph, I think there's also an application for you and I here. Dale Bruner, in his commentary on Matthew, says that not only does the church's doctrine of the virgin birth teach us about who Jesus was and how he was conceived, how he came into being through the Spirit, but it also anticipates how you and I come into being as part of Jesus' church and body. Bruner says, when anyone in history comes to Jesus, it is always the initiating work of God's Spirit. And he, he takes that to its logical conclusion, and he says, that means, therefore, every conversion is a virgin birth. Every person who is turned back to and drawn back into this new creation story, it's because of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about your place in this story as a virgin birth? The fact that you are connected to the life of Jesus is a miracle of equal magnitude to what happens here in Bethlehem. In Jesus, not only does Israel's story have a new beginning, but our stories have new beginnings. After Steve preached last Sunday, I had the chance to to catch lunch with him on Monday. And one of the things I love uh, about Steve is is the the sort of long uh, list of stories he has about this place. Steve said he and Mickey showed up here at JCC in 1981, before most of us were here. And even though they live in France, right, they have been back and forth over the years. And he has this incredible ability in the stories he tells about people and individuals and families in Jericho, about how God has faithfully brought new beginnings, conversions, transformations, in this church. Right, that, that's encouraging to me as a pastor for, for him to be able to look over 40 plus years and, and to say, I can see God moving. Right, it's, it's miraculous. So Jesus is committed to, to beginning a new story, a new and better retelling of Israel's story and our story. But as much as we we love this idea of of a fresh start, of of something new beginning, those new beginnings also mean that our existing stories, our existing plans, might need some rearranging, some redirecting. And we see that preeminently in this passage in the life of Joseph, the father of Jesus, beginning in verse 19. Read along with me. It says, Because Joseph, Mary's husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her, new Genesis, is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until he gave birth, until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. If we compare Luke and Matthew's account, you'll see that Luke is is much more interested in Mary and in Elizabeth and their stories. But here in Matthew, the primary attention, at least in in chapter 1 and even partly into chapter 2, is with Joseph. And that's at least in part likely because Matthew has just given us this long genealogy to demonstrate that that Jesus is connected to this messianic line that goes back through David and Abraham. But it's, it's Joseph that is the one who connects Jesus to that line. Right? It's, it's reckoned through his ancestry. So there's a little bit of tension here. How, how is Jesus going to get pulled into this ancestry through Joseph? Because there's, there's some tension some trouble in this story initially. I want us to consider for a moment what Joseph's story probably looked like before all of this happens in Matthew. Joseph, from what we're told, is an upstanding young man in his community. He's a carpenter in Nazareth, which means he was probably of of simple but of sufficient means in his village. And as verse 19 says, he is a man who was faithful to the law. One commentator says this this is sort of a, not code word, but but shorthand for what first century Jews might call a tzaddik, a righteous guy. Someone who had a reputation for, for following God's law. He was upstanding. So Joseph's careful to observe God's law. He's hardworking. He's pledged himself to this young woman, Mary. And he is quietly preparing to enter this next stage of life. Right? If he's betrothed, he's probably working hard to prepare the family home to receive her as, as his bride. And he's making plans to, to sort of settle down as a family man there in Nazareth. Joseph is already writing a pretty good story. The problem is that when the Holy Spirit shows up, things get messy. 
Right? Things come off the rails for Joseph. Joseph's storyline that, that he's been writing and faithfully sewing into is now veering off in an alternate direction. Now, Joseph, the, the tzaddik, the righteous one, he has a fiancé that is pregnant and he can't explain why. So verse 19 says that Joseph quietly and, and respectfully, I think the text indicates, as gracefully as he knows how, Joseph begins to plan his escape from this new drama. He's not looking for a new story. And so, says that he resolves that he will quietly divorce Mary, gracefully, compassionately, dissolve this betrothal. And who knows, maybe in a year or two or three, things will sort of blow over in his village and Joseph can go back to the way life was before. The problem is the Holy Spirit was not finished with Joseph yet either. Remember that initiating work of God in Mary's womb. Well, here the Holy Spirit initiates an angelic visit in Joseph's dream. Look at verses 20 through 23. In case we've forgotten that God likes to retell and, and, and improve stories with time, can you think of another Joseph who had profound experiences through dreams and who just also happened to be the son of a man named Jacob? Right? There's some parallel here. Just saying. In this particular dream, though, with this Joseph... The point of the dream is to point Joseph toward the new life in Mary. That's what the dream is about. And just like back in verse 18, in this dream we're told that what has been conceived in Mary is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit did this, Joseph. Not only did the Holy Spirit conceive a life, but the Holy Spirit, it says, conceived a child who will save God's people from their sins, Joseph. Moreover, the Holy Spirit realized the promise spoken to the prophet Isaiah. He is going to send and conceive and begin the story of Emmanuel. Of God with us. Of God giving Israel a redeemer and a judge and a a herald of God's salvation. Joseph, the Holy Spirit will do all of this, the angel says. The Holy Spirit also has a job for you, Joseph. The angel confronts Joseph with a choice. Joseph, you can either protect your righteousness, your upstanding reputation, by quietly divorcing Mary. Or, Joseph, you can express your righteousness as faith. In the work of God's Spirit. You can choose to be part of this new beginning. This new retelling of Israel's story. Joseph is confronted with the choice. Will he allow God to to redirect him? 
I wonder if that sort of dilemma has ever confronted you. Can you think of times where, where you know you could sort of play it safe over here, stay within the, the sort of traditional bounds of, of what God has been doing in your life, keep going, keep heading down that path, but you also sense God sort of prompting you and saying, hey, if you would move over here, you could be part of something new. Something, something bigger. Right? The, the work and the movement of my spirit in your life. But to get from over here to over here requires redirection. It requires faith. It requires trust. Requires leaving our safety and taking risk. But if I think back on those seasons in my life, when I've been courageous enough to do that, those are some of the hardest steps I have taken, but they are some of the best things, the most fruitful decisions we can make in life. So after this this vivid dream that Joseph has, he wakes up in verse 24. And it's then that we get a picture of how deep and true Joseph's righteousness really is. How deep his faith in God really goes. And I love the way Joseph does this. Several commentators point to the fact that in the whole account here, in all of Matthew 1 and 2, Joseph never says anything. We never hear Joseph speak. He doesn't do anything flashy. He doesn't draw attention to himself in this act of faith. But quiet Joseph. Right? In the quietest way possible, Joseph does the gutsiest thing possible. He goes back to Mary and he takes her as his wife. And he risks his reputation, he risks his future, and whatever story he had been writing, and he chooses the promises God has just made to him in this dream. He allows the Spirit to begin to rewrite his story. Joseph is quietly but bravely obedient. And I love the way chapter 1 finishes with it. It hints at, with this little flourish, what God does through that obedience. Not only does Joseph return to Mary's side and, and provide her love and support and protection in this new marriage, not only does Joseph make their marriage vows official, but verse 25 says, Joseph returned home and he named the child Jesus. And maybe we haven't been thinking about it, but everyone in the first century who's reading this story knows that this is critical. Right? If Joseph doesn't take Jesus as his son, then he will not be connected to this messianic line. In Hebrew culture, a critical paternal responsibility was to give the name to the child. And in doing so, it demonstrated the legitimacy of that child. It marked them as a member of your family, your tribe, your ancestral line. And so thanks to the Holy Spirit's initiative, 
Thanks to the nocturnal visit of that angel. Thanks to the faithfulness and courage of Joseph to say yes to God's redirection. This child is given the name Jesus. Son of Joseph. Offspring of David. Heir of Abraham's promise. And he will be Israel's Messiah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see in you the power of a new beginning. Lord, that you make all things new. You've already begun to make the heavens and the earth new through your redeeming and saving power. But Lord, you also desire to make us new every morning, every day, every evening, through a quiet listening and obedience to the words you would speak to us. Give us courage to let you redirect our paths, to make a way in the wilderness for you, and to have the faith that you will do what you have promised to do. Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.